0: Because for a lot of human history, governments have tried to censor the opinions that or or the ideas their civilians are exposed to. I think that in the in America today, the the censorship comes from the excess of information that that's projected onto your screens.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Mind Mel Podcast, where we open our minds through interesting, interesting conversations and destroy our biases in the process. Today I have a guest, a very special guest, Ben Kingston. Uh, So Ben, I have a couple questions for you.
0: Great, thank you for having me.
1: So do you think college education is still worth it today?
0: I mean, I think that whether it's worth it or not depends entirely on the person and what your individual plans are. I think that back in the day, college education was either kind of a trade. um, you'd, You'd go to pick up a trade or it was kind of to find this idea of like, intellectual stimulation and the idea that you could be like so inspired intellectually that it would completely change your life i think that that purpose can still be the case but i wonder if there's still a number of students that are that interested in like getting that out of college and how many are just going to get a credential that will allow them to get a better job and i don't think that college education is particularly good credential um for for most jobs i mean it depends like if you're going to be a mechanic obviously you want somebody who went to who studied mechanical engineering, or if you um, want to be, if, you, if you're if you Google and you're trying to hire a computer scientist, you want somebody who went to college to study computer science, but if you want to be a plumber or a technician or, or something like that, I don't see any real reason. There's, no.
1: there's other options. So yeah. y- you mentioned about like getting inspired intellectually and that as a college experience. So do you think that's been the model for a while?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on the college as well. I think that there's like traditionally prestigious colleges like the Ivy Leagues and whatever um, evolved from essentially the Oxford-Cambridge model of college, which was you'd go there and you wouldn't so much go to take classes and to study um, in a formal setting. You'd go to have deep, meaningful conversations with professors about topics that that you both found interesting, and and you'd go to eventually produce original um, research um, and go down the path of of being an intellectual. And um, it evolved from kind of the, the idea of like the middle class, um, the way that, that emerged from the middle ages, I think kind of separate, separately from, you, you had the upper class like owners and you had like the, the, obviously like the commoners. I think that it was interesting to see how the middle class were people who, who took on trades and, and were able to find um, intellectual stimulation um, through college experience. Uh, so I think that is also something that needs to be said about college. Yeah. That it's...
1: so back in the early ivy league days it was a lot more of a personal connection between student and professor and uh, nowadays you know you have classrooms that are like full of 200 students yeah. and you can't even get five minutes with a professor right so things have definitely changed in the education world
0: uh, yeah i mean like i think that a lot of college students struggle with the question of, of why they're there i think we, we grow up with that as kind of an expectation for us because um of the the way that it benefits us like in society I don't think that people have I don't think enough people going to college with a clear understanding of what they're hoping to get out of it and I think that college like high schools essentially you get out of it what you what you're looking to get out of it based on what you're willing to put into it so I think that um, in high school one of the things that I've realized is plenty of people are graduating in my grade having learned pretty much nothing like in, in four years because unless you really apply yourself to the material and you go to have to develop relationships with your teachers, I don't think you're going to get much out of it that, um, you that it's worth your time to go,
1: yeah. So you say you get out what you put in, yeah. I think that's true in more than one aspect of life, yeah. I mean,
0: obviously, like, there, there's plenty of ways that that applies to life, so like, you exercise, obviously, um, health in general, um, but I think college is a really good example, um, learning essentially, learning because you, you can't. Um, there's only a certain degree to which learning can be something, can be forced upon you. I think, um, we talk a lot about you have good schools and you have bad schools and whatever, but the truth is, and you, and you know, you have good colleges and good, bad colleges, but I think the truth is that like about 10% of what you learn varies between those schools. I think that in truth, the majority of what you learn is depending on how much effort you're willing to put into your work. So that's something that I've gradually did, kind of developed, developed an understanding of, and I think that, um... It really helped me to succeed in high school. I don't think that, or I wish that the school put more emphasis on giving students a kind of an interest, like a genuine interest in what they're studying. So letting, giving students more freedom to, to study stuff that they're interested in, and also not kind of lifting the kind of requirements. So like people who, who want to become artists, I don't see any reason why they should have to take like chemistry. I mean, if they're interested in it by all means, but I don't think that, um, by the time we're 16, 17, 18 years old, I don't think that if, you, if you're if you willing to get out of it... like I don't think that if the school forces you to do it, it's going to give you some kind of like deeper understanding of, of the organic like, chemistry of the world. I think that really, at that at that age, you, you kind of are beginning to develop your interests. I think it's about the time that um, school should allow you to pursue those more deeply.
1: Yeah, they should allow you to branch out and kind of find what you're interested in and what you can learn. Yeah. So you think that uh so all of these assignments and restrictive things um, are actually you know not giving people freedom to explore what they might want to do later in life
0: I think that high school becomes too much of a almost like a conveyor belt of work so a lot of people go there and they they, they treat it kind of like a checklist like I go here like I, I, I do this homework and I you know take this test and I study for it Even the smart students I don't think particularly, find meaning in that process. I think it's almost like, a, like, like I said, like a conveyor, belt, like a factory. Um, they see it as their job and they're willing to approach it like a job, but I don't think that they um, get out of it what the original, in, you know, like the, the, the real purpose of education is, which is to um, give you that kind of, like I said before, that kind of intellectual um, spark. I think at the end of the day, what education should be about is allowing people to find that. Um, intellectual curiosity I don't think I don't I don't think that forcing people to take tests that they're uh, stuff they're not interested in um, put like them to do homework and spend spend their time doing those kinds of things I think that it encourages people to not retain that information because they feel like they after they take the test they feel like they've done their job and they're able to just completely forget everything I don't think that it's really benefits the student in the long run
1: yeah it's not a very good way to learn so do you think that school is preparing people to be like good workers and not necessarily follow their passions
0: yeah I think that it is um, particularly public schools um, that are designed to fulfill these like state requirements I think that they're very much um, in the business of preparing people to be good workers um, because that essentially is like you are essentially a worker I don't see a meaningful difference between being a average student who's willing to put in the work to get good grades but isn't particularly interested in the work they're doing versus a just like factory employee who's essentially doing the same thing they're they're essentially trading their time for some kind of value without getting any kind of fulfillment intellectual fulfillment out of it
1: and fulfillment in general because in in some ways like obviously the schools the topics change in school but it's a lot of reputation of the same kind of movements so I see, especially in like language classes, it's a lot of like worksheets yeah. and like fill in the blank type of stuff. So it may be new content, but it is kind of like work where you just keep doing the same thing.
0: Yeah. I think I got kind of disillusioned with the idea of, um, high school and a high school education around the, probably around 10th or 11th grade, um, going into it. Like I, I've always been like, I think partially because of the way I was raised, like there was always an expectation that I would do well in my classes and, and get good grades. And I think that was always my kind of goal in school. Um, and I have had really good teachers, and, and and I found classes interesting. But I did kind of become a little bit disenchanted with the idea of going into school to develop your interests and to to to, pers- to find your passion eventually. I don't think I was able to find a passion in high school, partially because I wasn't really given the freedom um, to find it. I mean, I was able I was exposed to a number of different areas, obviously. And um, I was able to take electives. But because I was taking all honors classes or all AP classes or whatever, I had to take like a study hall and stuff. And and by the time my class schedule was filled up, I was just doing a very um, regimented course schedule. And I don't think that I chose my classes based on stuff that I was particularly passionate about. I just kind of chose whatever was considered the most rigorous. And I think that looking back on high school now, retrospectively, now that I've finished, I don't think that um I'm not very happy with the way that I approached it I think I could have pushed myself to take classes in things like mechanical engineering which I'm interested in or um more computer science classes or try new things like I-, I wish I'd taken like an art class or a dance class or something like because I feel like I would have actually developed like a memory for that and an appreciation for that like for the rest of my life whereas um I don't I struggle to remember that much of the information that I learned in a lot of my classes which is kind of disappointing, but.
1: So if you could go back to like you kind of your beginning of high school, what would you do not just in school but kind of outside of school to maybe have a clearer vision of like you know what you're interested in.
0: Well, if I were to go back to high school, if I were could, could restart high school right now, I don't think I would have sacrificed the um, rigorous courses, partially because of the teachers and I think that honors and AP classes in general, um, the teachers were able to. Focus. They didn't have to focus on discipline or anything, so um, they were able to focus more on um, developing an, an appreciation for the coursework and also the the classmates were obviously pushing each other to work hard. Um, I think if I could go back to the beginning of high school, I would pr- continue to pursue sports because I, t- I played club soccer in, in my freshman year and um, played for the high school JV so in my sophomore year and I ran into a track that year as well. But besides that, I didn't really do any sports, partially because my cl- my schedule was so full. But I think that I would have, I would have um, continued to to do sports. I think I wish I stuck up with, uh, kept up with tennis, because um, I played that a little bit in middle school, but um, didn't really pursue it again once I got back to Amherst. So I think sports are are a big deal. I think that um, they're really really good for maintaining your fitness, for developing uh, competitiveness, um, teamwork, all that kind of thing. So I wish I stuck with it. And like I said before, like the classes, I, I wish I took. Um, I was a bit, I wish I took a little bit more freedom in my uh, course schedule so
1: I did a lot of sports in high school Part of why I really liked playing soccer and just sports in general is like it was a lot of fun to be with friends and you had a lot of good memories yeah. but also you know maybe there was a tough moment there was a loss or something and you would have a coach that would be there to back you up but also a lot of times in the conversations before and after games they would say something that would like stick to you yeah you know and it would be something not just about like athletics and like pushing yourself but also about life.
0: Yeah, I mean I think he, I think coaches are teachers um, in a certain sense. Um if anything they have a kind of a more more of a responsibility because I think that unlike school there are a lot of students who do find passion in sports. Um I think for people our age it is much easier to find a passion for for a sport that you've been playing for a while than it is to get attached to a particular subject in school and so i think that teachers or i think that coaches have the responsibility of teachers to um to, to to provide that kind of like like i said before that um the kind of stimulation and and to allow their even if it's not your passion um i think that it could be a a, a bridge towards a passion so for, for for my friend kevin obviously you had him on your before he played basketball like he, he, he poured his heart into basketball and i think that that kind of drive has allowed him to succeed in a number of different ways in life, and I think that I've that he's just one one example, but I think a lot of people that I know have um, really benefited from sports. I think that coaches have a, have a big responsibility because of that. Um, so yeah.
1: Cool. And we've talked a lot about like schoolwork and class load. Do you think that high school, not just in the United States, but do you think it's really preparing people? to go out into the real world, so the workforce and also college.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that it does teach you a work ethic if you are able to keep up with school. So um, I think that's obviously valuable in, in the real world, regardless of what you're going to be doing. I think for college, high school is important. I don't know if it necessarily, because I have actually taken a lot of college classes, just uh, apart from school as like a dual enrollment, and I think that college classes are very different because they expect you to be a little bit more independent in how you're working. I think that that's something that high school really misses, really lacks. Um, I think that college classes require you to a greater extent to um, find intellectual stimulation in the work that you're doing, whether it's these independent... They, they, they tend to have large independent essays, I've found. Um, they require you to, to do more work outside of school. It's less of a... Um, it's oftentimes, they, they, like, for example, like, in my high school classes, they've, um, they, we've done, like, lectures and also, like, classwork. Um, you, like, you do work inside of class. And in, in college classes, it's not really like that. M- most of the classes that are taken in college are more just discussion-based. So they require you to do all your work outside of class, and you go in, and you're having a meaningful, like, deep discussion. I think in my English classes, that's something that I have really enjoyed. Um, having, like, actual, like, steps like, Substance in the discussion of the class that people are able to um, find a meaning in I think it is really important
1: Yeah, I agree because you know text-based learning Just in the textbook that's like one perspective But when you start talking to people who have had different experiences It opens you up to like new ideas and new perspectives and Yeah Things like that But I think discussion is very important because it teaches you to like develop ideas uh, Also communicate with people which is important in every life and also kind of be open to someone challenging you yeah or being different.
0: Yeah, being able to def- defend your um, to make persuasive arguments and then defend them um, is something that's really important. I think that discussions, academic discussions in general uh, really do help develop your um, intelligent awareness of your your ability to grapple with complex ideas. I think that having actual like, not so much arguments but disagreements that aren't personal but are actually focused on um some kind of academic substance really do help develop you as like a thinker and i think that's one of the most valuable things that i found in my education
1: i think it's really important to like have, have someone to reflect on your thoughts because often we go with what we think right and maybe we don't talk to other people about it but um Having someone else to like reflect on your thoughts is really helpful. Yeah. So, how do you feel about what's going on um, between Democrats and Republicans? Kind of the hostility and like tension.
0: I feel pretty pretty strongly about this. I, I don't think that there should be the kind of personal connection to politics that we see today. I think that a lot of that, in my opinion, um, has been kind of artificially projected by the media so i one of the things that i think is, is wrong with technology nowadays is the kind of echo chamber that has emerged because before now before probably the past decade um the way people everybody got their news the way everybody would receive all of their kind of understanding of, of the current events was through cable television or the newspaper so they were all regardless of whether you were republican democrat or whatever you you were getting the same facts i think one of the things that's wrong nowadays is that Not so much you're getting the wrong facts, depending on who you're listening to, but you get a particularly chosen set of facts out of the larger pool of what's going on, and so everybody, I think, and obviously the news has a vested interest in that because they're able, they 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 benefit financially from telling you what you want to hear. So controlling the narrative. Yeah, exactly. I think. big big media it has been really problematic recently um and I think the other thing to talk about is like the geographic bubbles so obviously in amherst um uh, which is where which is where I live, there's this prevailing dominance of, of left wing narratives i think um people are very hostile, not so much not only on a political level but on a personal level towards people that express any kind of um dissent against the prevailing narrative so i think that um that really pressures people even if they're not into politics even if they are they're fairly passive to um just go along with the the popular notion because it's almost like the social norm. exactly politics has become social and that's something that i find issues with because i i want to be able to have like real conversations with people who i disagree with um and that's something that I think society is lacking nowadays Um, Democrats and Republicans particularly we have this kind of uh, this like polar political landscape um, that is really really problematic it's not so much even if there was an even spread I think that the other thing is the echo chambers push people farther and farther out because regardless of if you're if you're if you're listening to the same news that you always want to be listening to you still people still want to hear like new ideas um and when the new ideas are all coming from the same side of the political aisle that just pushes people more and more towards extremism i think that especially when you can't even find any any sympathy for people that you disagree with um that is, is even more that's even that that's just just specific, more yeah yeah
1: uh, so what is this echo chamber uh, you talk about?
0: The echo chamber is when people um, are having conversations with people that they, that they agree with either in person or obviously the social media creates that possibility for that. Um, and they don't really learn anything new through the conversations. They, they just reinforce their, their, their biases, their political opinions. And, and they just – people look for legitimacy in the words of others but they focus the on themselves so, so they want to use their conversation with, with other people to basically reinforce their own political biases and they then that's why they don't enjoy discussing politics with people that they disagree with because they don't want to have their opinions challenged they only want to have their opinions reaffirmed
1: mm-hmm. and then when talking with someone with the same kind of perspective it even kind of deepens your ideas in a way because you have that feedback loop right you have someone else giving in to what you're saying yeah yeah um, I think there's that people have a lot of barriers up about politics, Uh, not like just kind of mental barriers that like if if they say one thing, my mind is going to close to the rest of it. Yeah, Uh, I'm not saying like exactly like trigger, but like um, just like certain topics that uh, create some like blockage, you know, you aren't exactly open to it discussion if
0: that makes sense yeah I think that the there's a lot of social issues so obviously with the riots that happened last summer it's very difficult to have a productive political discussion about the because obviously at the end of the day those kind of riots are an expression of, of anger um, but they also the same movements push political agendas And I think it's it's difficult to have productive conversations about those agendas without inciting that kind of anger again um and that makes it really difficult to have dialogue with people you disagree with um particularly about these very emotionally charged issues like um racism police brutality um any pretty much any like climate change anything like that um People have their own like preconceived notions about those issues. and then like I said before, due to the echo chamber, um, they, those opinions have only become strengthened over time over the past year or so. and I think that by this point, if you disagree with someone, they'll just kind of tell you to shut up and walk away. I don't think it's I don't think people are open to, to, to changing their minds.
1: Yeah and with the information age and social media, yeah. there's a lot of different information being thrown around. From place to place, and it's very. It can be very easy to get lost in all that information and the changing of ideas. Yeah,
0: I mean, one of the things that, um, one of the interesting ideas that um, I discussed in one of my college classes uh, last semester was the idea of censorship, because for a lot of human history, governments have tried to censor the opinions that or or the ideas, I guess that um, their civilians are exposed to. Um, so in Latin America, obviously, um, any kind of dictatorship has, has had that issue. I think that in the, in America today, the, the censorship comes from the excess of information that you that's projected onto your screen. So you have so much information that ideas you disagree with are censored by the, by the technological system, by social media companies, um, those kinds of big, um, Algorithms and systems in place prevent you from seeing, from being exposed to ideas that you disagree with, and that in and it's, in and of itself is censorship. So even though you have access to those ideas, you don't expose yourself to them with an open mind. I think that that um, is very problematic. the The idea of in, I think truth, in and of itself, has become subjective because facts have become so intertwined with opinion. Um, and it's so hard to differentiate facts from opinion in today's news. So one of the issues that um so I, I f- for for the past few years have read uh, The Wall Street Journal and the New York Times pretty much every every day. Um, one of the things that I have problems with with the New York Times is the fact the way that they end most of their news fact kind of pieces. They don't have a, a that much of a division between the news that they put out on a daily basis and then the the opinions that they try to um they they try to push with the with that news so um I think that it's important to have those um set aside and obviously some news outlets have completely f- just moved away from from any kind of fact they don't even pretend to be objective um and they, they're just happy to uh, continue to project their own political biases through the news so I think that is another problem like the idea that Facts are are subjective. Um, is I think a big source of today's divisions because if you disagree on facts, then you can't possibly agree on your on your opinions, and it's impossible to move forward um, with the discussion. So.
1: So do you think that our government is really having the best intent for our people, and do you think the the spending from our government is going to the right places?
0: I mean, it's hard for me to. Answer that question. Um, it's kind of general, but I think the the idea of the government being a single entity is also misleading. Like you have to think about it at levels. I think the local government isn't always um, most efficient in terms of how they're spending our money. But I do think that they have the good in- they have good intentions. I think that it's difficult to trust the majority of Congress, for example, um, when politicians are obviously just people. They're they're flawed, um, and their flaws get. Overprojected projected by the media, obviously, especially the media, um, obviously the other side of the aisle. I don't think that they, in general, I mean, they're, they're one of the most hated professions for a reason. I don't think that I trust the majority of politicians to... I mean, I think it's kind of a romanticized image of, of politics to, to, to say that, like, they all have our best interests and that's why they go into the job. I mean, maybe it is for some people and maybe it's part of the reason that um, politicians pursue... It is a career path, but I think at the end of the day, they do have their own interests and like all humans, they're going to pursue them. So I don't I don't see an issue with that. I don't think the government should have as much power to, as it does, especially on the national level. I think that there should be more power to the states um, and to the local government um, because the, like we talked about the, the pol- polarized um, political landscape, I think when you're making policies on the national level, you have to consider... Like, you're impacting the lives of somebody in Amherst, somebody in New York, somebody in rural Oklahoma, and these people all have very different interests. Um, so I think the more local uh, politics can be, the the better, the most to a certain extent. Yeah,
1: because they know the members of their community better. And someone who's coming from a state level, uh, they're going to have an idea of what people want, but... Because there's so much difference in beliefs and yeah. also landscape, like where you live, it's hard to um, it's hard to please everyone in what you're doing.
0: Yeah, um, it's hard to please everyone. It's also hard to, to make pleasing everyone your motive when you know you can't. So I think um, that's another thing to consider, especially when politics is so complicated by money um, and you're raising money for your campaigns and, and, and private interests. I question how I question the integrity of our federal, federal government due to that issue. Um, partially, I was part of a um, organization called Wolfpack, which is have you have you heard about it? Oh, oh Wyatt Kelman is a big um, or he was pretty involved in it. Basically, they want they're very interested in, in transparency in terms of how politicians are raising their money. They want to see more. Um, they they want to see less influence of private interests in in politics, especially in um, members of Congress. So that that's something that that I was very passionate about at a particular like a couple of years ago, and I still see as a big issue. Wolfpack. So is yeah. it kind
1: of like a bigger organization?
0: Yeah. Um, it, it's a it's a national organization. Essentially, they want to pass a congress They want to pass an amendment to the Constitution, and in order for that to happen, it has to either go through Congress. By I don't know exactly how how much support, but but a lot of support, or it has to be ratified by like the majority of states, mm-hmm. and they've ratified it in a few states. They they this amendment that would limit um, fundraising, like it would put a cap on on donations. So um, it's I, I don't think it's going to succeed because of the power that big companies have in America, but I do um, think it's a step in the right direction to see it gain so much support, and I think that the more that it um, is publicized, the, the more Americans will find that they agree with it, and the more support it will get. So it's kind of a feedback.
1: So if this amendment was passed, what would it mean for elections at state, state, and local levels?
0: It would be much more difficult for for certain politicians to be elected. So so for when you're running for Congress you might not be that well-known um, and it's difficult to be elected unless you are well-known. And so puns will, will obviously um, put out ads and all that kind of thing. And they, they need to raise a lot of money. And so I think that it would m- make them more dependent on fundraising, on grassroots fundraising. So like Bernie Sanders, obviously um, was a big supporter of that. Um, it's one of the only things I agree with Bernie Sanders about, <laughs> to be honest. But um, yeah, I think that it would... You'd see a lot more politicians like him in the Democratic Party, and you'd see a lot more... Um, uh, the Republican politicians would probably have more integrity as well. Let's just say that. I don't know.
1: How do you see that like companies and corporations are affecting elections and public opinion about certain candidates?
0: Well, obviously, private interests um, are able to fund politicians. I think that in a, in a positive way... like. Th- but by, by giving them money to, to, to put out those ads, they also make the politicians dependent upon them. So that's one of the reasons we, ha- we haven't seen so much climate action um, because of the power of oil companies in America. It's also, um, I mean, unions are, are another... I mean, not that's kind of a separate issue, but unions also fund a lot of Democratic politicians in a similar way. Yeah, I mean, it, and the other thing, the other way that they, that they help politicians is by giving them essentially job offers offers after they finish their terms in Congress, so very often Republican politicians will be given, like, board seats on oil companies that pay them millions of dollars a year after they retire from politics, and it's obviously, like, a a sign of corruption, but um, there's not really anything you can do about it legally, so...
1: And when a company backs a certain politician, that politician is obviously, in a way, indebted to this company, so they're going to be more likely to follow their ideals.
0: Yeah, and they need to run for re-election, so... um, if there's somebody who's, who's proven who, who's proven they're willing to support them financially, they have no real incentive to, to, um, kind of, just contradict their 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 private interests. So I I, I don't know. Again, I'm not an expert in, in election or congressional politics. Um, people feel partially because of the electoral college and and the, the obviously like large size of our country. People feel kind of disconnected from politics, and they feel like their vote doesn't really matter and. Um, maybe we, that's one of the reasons we have such poor, um, election turnout very often. So yeah, I, I think that it's important for the majority of Americans to see this as an issue and to really, um, go after it.
1: What do you think that us Americans can do to address these problems of corruption in elections and government in general?
0: I mean, supporting organizations like Wolfpack, um, are, are, are a big deal, but I just like, I, I think I encourage, I would, I would encourage everybody to, to vote, um, in local elections, I don't think. I mean, if you ask people who their local congressperson is, they most people m- may know, but they probably don't know that much about their politics or, or who they support. People tend to just, if they're Democrat, they just tick the Democratic box. If they're Republican, they just tick the Republican box, um, and they don't necessarily have an attachment to the local candidates in the way that I think they should.
1: So people should do their homework. Yeah. On who they're actually voting for and what exactly. they're supporting. Yeah, I think a super big issue. Not only oil companies, but big companies that really do not care about the environment are holding up like uh, projects to help yep. our environment. And, you know, if you think about it, you can make as much money as you want, but if you don't have a sustainable planet to live on, it's all going to be gone.
0: Well, I mean, it's all short-term financial interests. Um, companies have no real incentive to look that far into the future. I mean, climate change, I think, is, is a huge issue. But people question, because of the way that our media sensationalizes other topics, they question the degree to which climate change is a real issue, especially religious people. And they take our planet for granted. I mean, I think we all take our planet for granted. Because as humans, it's difficult to think, to take responsibility for the fact that, let's say, like, a thousand years from now, um, the planet will look completely different because of our actions. I think it's, it's in the in, like, in a human mind... Even just thinking like ten years from now, when you when you're able to line your own pockets this year, I don't think is really something that the, the big companies are, are that concerned about. Especially when these oil companies are struggling so much right now. Um, oil prices are obviously pretty <laughs> are obviously in bad shape. Those companies, when if they're public, their stock uh, is oftentimes in danger, and so. The executives see it as their responsibility to protect their com- the companies and to protect the interests of the shareholders, and they don't see it as their re- the responsibility to, to protect the environment. I mean, I don't think that they necessarily do have that responsibility, but I think that it's it should be our job to, to regulate them, to make it their responsibility.
1: No, I think big business, uh, a major ideal and opinion, at least in the United States, has been profits. So doing what you need to get profits and not necessarily considering different impacts different ways that this decision would make it because a lot of it has been due to the stock market you know a lot of company owners you get onto the stock market okay it's time to grow the stock it's time to you know pay back our investors it's time to you know grow grow right yeah yeah. yeah. so they do what they can for maybe fast growth but they don't consider all of the issues for example like environmentally or even like sustainability because like If a company grows too fast, it's not going to work out for them.
0: Yeah. I mean, stock prices have very little to do with the actual value of a company. I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, it is pegged to that. But market corrections, when a government is spending so heavily, are not really as big of an influence as as I think people think that they are. So Bitcoin is a good example of how... I mean, it has no real actual value. But because people are betting on it um, constantly, it is able to um, have a market... I think that to a lesser extent, you can see that in certain companies. Um, people are are scared of the, of the stock going down, but um, as long as it keeps going up, as long as the government keeps bailing out companies, they know that they have nothing to worry about. Um, and the S&P 500 and, and the NASDAQ and whatever consistently make returns. And so, yeah, I, I think that the stock market is an interesting aspect of our economy. I don't... I'm not, again, I'm not an expert in it. I hope to, to be eventually. I think, again, the government does have responsibility to not... I mean, what we talked about earlier about how the government's spending our money, I mean, giving billions of dollars to become corporations um, so they can give their executives even bigger bonuses, I don't think is um, a good use of government money. And I don't think that the bailouts were a good idea either.
1: Yeah, I also think that the idea of you know, large corporations... Uh, there's people at the bottom who are making the people at the top very, very wealthy and um, they're struggling and kind of like stuck in that uh, that race.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know I'm not as convinced by the I, I mean in school, I remember we watched this video about like, oh like CEOs make like 300 times the, the amount of their average employee or something. And it's like do you think that the CEO works 300 times harder than the average employee? But well, the issue with that argument is that how much you get paid has very little to do with how hard you work. And it's almost um, entirely d- driven by the kind of financial value that you that you provide or the, the value of your expertise. And so I think it's very possible that from a financial perspective, a CEO or a CFO or whatever is able to provide thousands of times more economic value than the, the worker because the worker can be replaced instantly. And so it's like the value of their labor is... is isn't decided by how hard they work or, or, or how much money they, they even deserve. It's, d- it's driven by the market for their labor. Um, and their so, demands. Yeah. And
1: their skill sets. I also think at the same time that, you know, working hard to make more money is not always the best option.
0: Yeah. No, I, I don't think that... I mean, I think if you want to make a lot of money in life, working hard early in your life is definitely a um, benefit you. But I think it's investing in yourself... I've been very and developing a scarce skill set and then eventually getting expertise and whatnot. But yeah, I don't think that a janitor working hard is going to make them more money in the long run. I don't think that manual labor in general is that hard to replace from a company's perspective. And so you're never going to make that much money, um, which is obviously unfortunate. But um, also the the other thing to consider is the fact that people managing companies the board the board and whatnot they're carrying all the risk so they're at the end of the day they're getting paid to carry that risk um and that's the other thing i don't think people really think about
1: going back to what you said earlier i think investing in yourself is the best investment and not only investing in like your education and your self-education i think self-education is very important but also investing in developing your skill sets so, gaining experience and not necessarily looking for that paycheck off the bat, yeah. but um, working to get experience and working to develop skills that can be used in more opportunities in life. And self education is probably one of the best forms of education.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I try to educate myself about things that I'm interested in. I try to pursue classes that I'm interested in, and I'm planning to do that more in college. But, um, yeah.
1: So, what would be like some ideal characteristics, or maybe opinions of like a politician that you would really get behind? And that you yeah, really
0: like? I mean, so for for a while, for probably my my political opinions emerged in like when I was in elementary school and in middle school and whatnot. And I was very kind of conservative, definitely re- Republican. I think now I'm a little bit more moderate, um, probably an independent. Um, so I'm not too attached to either political party. I think just somebody who's competent and willing to listen to both sides. Um, I don't have that much of an issue with, with President Biden. I'm not um, a big fan of, a lot of policy suggestions, but I think that what I like about him is the fact that he's worked with Democrats and Republicans throughout his career. I mean, obviously, it's more difficult nowadays than it was 20 or 30 years ago. But I think that um, my ideal politician would have that kind of characteristic, that they would be open to policy suggestions and they would see themselves as, as not just a democratic president or republican president but an american president um john f kennedy even though he was a democrat obviously i think really embodied that for me he's one of my favorite presidents every good president i think has put them has put the country above um political divisions abraham lincoln fdr obviously i don't agree with everything that they that they, that they did or everything that they um supported but i definitely um would support a candidate if i felt like they were more attached to um, the interests of the country, especially the long term interests of the country, um, than their own personal agenda.
1: Yeah, the presidents you mentioned, JFK, Lincoln, and Roseville. Ro- uh, yeah. yeah. Um, one thing that I thought was really like, admirable about them is they had a unique way of kind of like handling people, but also understanding people and, and accepting people. So, for example, Lincoln back in his early days he was a lawyer he was trying to become a lawyer and he would write these articles uh, basically just slandering people yeah just for the fun of it and um he posted this one and this one guy was very unhappy about it so they were actually going to duel to the death yeah. over this letter but um their wife's like stepped in and stopped it yeah. but um one thing about lincoln is after that moment he made a commitment that i'm not gonna i'm gonna see from other people's perspectives and I'm not going to be first to criticize them. Yeah. I'm going to see from their perspective. And I think that's super important for anyone who's a decision maker, seeing different perspectives of people.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I completely agree. I think um, Lincoln was able to make difficult decisions and he wasn't so swayed by popular opinion. I mean, he obviously carried the country through the Civil War. Um but again, I think the the ability to make difficult decisions. I I wasn't a, obviously I wasn't a fan of of President Trump because I felt like he was too a, attached to his own ego and to the, his like um, his image. His image, yeah, exactly. That's perfect prescription. Like the, the idea of somebody somebody that I would support for being to president was somebody who had no um, who did, who was completely ambivalent um, regarding like any kind of like personal image or. or um, success or whatever.
1: Able to take themselves outside of the situation. Yeah. And look at it not from their biases, to their person. I really appreciate your time today, <laughs> man. I just have a couple final questions for you. But sounds good. You for coming on the podcast. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. So, what do you think it takes for something big to change in our society, law, or government? Does it require a lot of people behind the mission, or what do you think?
0: I think it requires a lot of money. <laughs> and a lot of people um just who are supporting it. And I think that those two things go hand in hand. But um at the end of the day, I think it's one or the other uh can carry you there. It depends what you want to change. So if you want to change a law, obviously you need a lot of support. But in the in our in our system, I think at the end of the day, it all comes down to politics and at the end of the day. So um yeah, like I mean, we talked a lot about corruption and, and congressional politics, but I think that change is possible, and we've seen that recently. Change is much more possible on the local level than it is on the national level, but change, like larger scale change, obviously has to go through the, like the national government. So,
1: because yeah, they hold the power. I have a hypothetical question for you. Okay. So, in a in a perfect world, in your perfect world. Yeah what would your ideal like civilization be like? Like, How would people be existing with each other? Like, What would the structure kind of be?
0: Well, my ideal country would, um, I guess, have a, a political system relatively similar to the U.S. I think that the U.S., we complain about it a lot, and we've talked about it a lot um, today, but I think relative to the countries, we, we lose sight of the fact that relative to the world at large, there, there are... Um, a lot of benefits to living in the US But I think there are some big flaws I think the, the electoral college is, is kind of ridiculous um, At least the way that it exists now I understand why it was a thing um, You know, a couple centuries ago And I do see the merits of it But at the same time, I think that people would Be much more empowered politically If it were to be a um, popular vote At least if there was there was some way to um, in, to, to, to popularize elections To a higher degree um, I think that the, the big change would be, we have talked about the echo chamber, I I, I really think that um, I wish we could coexist peacefully, I wish that the political divisions weren't so regional so we were able to mix more freely with people that disagree with us, I wish there was a free exchange of ideas, um, I think that people, I think that technology has affected our society negatively in certain ways, I mean obviously I'm grateful for the modern technology that we have today and I, I do use it. Mm-hmm. But I try not to use social media too much, um, and I think that there are serious um, flaws in the way that it has affected society. So I think that that would be something that, that I would change. I think that, um, I think that politicians should be held more accountable. So I think obviously we talked about elections, and I, and I think that that's um, something that really has to change in our in our society. I think, um, I think that we should put more of an emphasis on health Like during quarantine. I, I kind of lost sight of my own personal health. I got pretty stressed about college applications and everything. And it really kind of changed the way that I, I think for me personally, quarantine really changed the way that I see the world and I the things that I take for granted. Um, and so I think that, um, there has to be more of a focus on human health and mental health. Um, and I think that we have the resources in our society nowadays to to, to do that. I think um, there's issues with the way that resources in our society are allocated. But besides that, I really am grateful for the world that I was that we live in, and I think that um, I'm just happy to to to, do, to be here. <laughs> so
1: true. Yeah. We're really blessed. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on this podcast today. Yeah, great. It's been I, a pleasure. I know. I really could talk to you for like four more hours <laughs> on this. But... Yeah yeah it was good talking to you and i hope that we help people with this yeah
0: of course